0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the Eat to Perform um, podcast, and I'm really excited. We have a pretty special guest with us today. Somebody who's done a lot of really good work in our field. Um, and one of the things, one of the reasons I got him on wasn't just his knowledge in the field, but also his his approach and you know how he's learned and grown so much from from taking resources around him and trying to, to be the best version of himself possible. And that's something we focus a lot here. So I'm really excited to welcome um, Juma Araki on today from Araki Nutrition. He is you know, kind of one of the, the big names that's, that's growing right now, and he's, he's done a lot of really, really cool work, and I'm really excited to have him on. So um, Juma, go ahead and say hi, and uh, give us a brief introduction about who you are.
1: Hi, everybody. And first off, Brad, thank you so much for having me on your, your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, so my background is I... Um, I started playing soccer when I was pretty young. I started at 7, played until I was 17, and always was really interested in sports, like everything I played. Soccer, I played a lot. I used to play um, ice hockey with the kids in my neighborhood. We played basketball and stuff like that, but, but soccer was the, the sport that I focused most of my attention on, so um, I played until uh, first year of high school then uh, tried to focus more on school because I knew that I didn't have, like I played, I would say I played decent, but I didn't have like the the talent to be a professional soccer player. So I went to school, um, was, was basically trying to get an education in economics at first uh, because I really wasn't, sure of what I wanted to do, but uh, my first year in high school, I started lifting weights. It was actually after I broke my collarbone and I needed to spend some time in the gym and I was like, I was hooked right away uh, with, uh, with, with, uh, with lifting weights and uh, spent a lot of years uh, training a lot, went one year to the army, uh, mandatory year here in Norway, came back, started actually studying uh, business and administration and like six weeks in, I knew this wasn't the thing for me. I didn't have any motivation to continue that ed- education. So I, um, I jumped off, uh, and one of my friends actually tipped me off, uh, doing a bachelor's degree in nutrition because I always was really interested in both training and nutrition. And over the years I've read a lot. So, um, before I even started I was designing meal plans for friends and family members and um, finally it took um, took uh, and jumped into it finished my bachelor's degree in nutrition sciences and I also did my personal trainer certification at the Norwegian School of Sport Science after that I started actually when I graduated to work at a medical clinic with... Uh, uh, a couple of doctors and a couple of other therapists and spent, I think it was two years I worked there. Um, worked a lot with obesity, type 2 diabetes, um, heart diseases, and and stuff like that. I also had a lot of cases with uh, uh, GI diseases like Crohn's disease, um, ulcerative colitis, IBS, and... Uh, and stuff like that. So I spent there I spent 2 years there and um, was actually just bored out of my mind to be to be honest because my passion was in sports. So um, I quit the job there and uh, started started what is known now as Iraqi Iraqi nutrition. And today I run I run the company. I do I provide three three services. I do Coaching both training and nutrition for athletes. Both, uh, I have clinic in, uh, I have a, a gym in Oslo that I work at. Uh, I also um, provide it online. Uh, the other part is I do guest speaking for conferences and for gyms. And I'm also the head of nutrition at Academy for Personal Training in Norway, where we certify personal personal trainers. And I also work as a business consultant for one of the biggest supplement companies here in Norway. So my job with them is to provide them with information about ingredients and the research so they can um, design better products. But I also do all of the quality work. Like, I make the nutrition declarations, I make sure that uh, there aren't any banned substances in the products, I make sure that uh, the amounts of vitamins and minerals, etc. are allowed in, in those products, so um, that's basically what I've done the last uh, three years, so, uh, and uh, to be honest, I, I couldn't have asked for a better job, like, I wake up every morning and I feel really blessed that I work with my hobby and my biggest passion. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of work, um, especially a couple of months during the year where I have really <laughs> high amounts of, of work. But yeah. I have the luxury of working when I want to work. So I can go to the gym at... Uh, I can go to the gym after breakfast in the morning if I want to I can take some time off in the middle of the day if I want to but it's still a lot of responsibility it's still a lot of work to do so I have to be really structured to to get the job done to be honest so that's a bit about my my background.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things is, you know, the the luxury and the the feeling blessed of being able to do that has come off the heels of a lot of hard work. You didn't just uh, wake up one day and fall into what you're doing. It's it's been a long journey and a long process of a lot of hard work. Um,
1: yeah, I, th- I think I think a lot of people they they always tell me that oh you're so lucky that you have this job and that you've accomplish what you what you have done with your uh, with your company but a lot of people don't know what 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 people have been been through before they get to that stage They 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 see the end product of it but they don't see everything that's been going on in the background and in my case it's actually been a bit special because I was I was fresh out of school like I mentioned in 2012 started working at, at the clinic in the first year I was to be honest I was staring at the phone waiting for clients to call like uh, nothing happened so I started writing articles for several magazines I started making calls to get um, to start working with uh, with businesses I, I I like I worked 16 18 hours a day to try to make this work and my wife was uh, was pregnant at the time so we were Waiting my 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 um, my son who's three years old now in in November, and um, in August I was uh, I was diagnosed with with uh, Crohn's disease. I've had I did have a stabbing pain in my stomach for for several years, but always related it to stress and didn't do anything with it. So I finally went to a doctor, and they diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. And because of I neglected it for so many years. It has, it has caused, uh, it did cause a lot of uh, damage to my small intestines. So tried several medications. Like some of the medication I was on was pretty rough, pretty hard side effects, to be honest. And then I went into surgery in summer of 2013. And by that time, the business has started to go a little better. Um, and I wanted to schedule the, sur- uh, the surgery for uh, for June because that way I wouldn't spend so much time away from work. So uh, to make a long story short, the, the surgery didn't go so well. I got um, a lot of complications. Uh, basically, everything after the surgery exploded inside me. So I had infections in all my organs and was was forced to do another nine surgeries wow. to fix all the complications. So I spent 11 months away from work, and at that time I was self-employed, so I didn't have any insurances that would cover anything for me. Like, I got a small uh, compensation from from the hospital that made a made mistake, and I got... Uh, I think it was $500 a month from from the government, and it didn't cover cover anything. So when I returned to work in 2014, I basically had nothing, and I had two choices. I had one choice of actually just quit everything and move to another field because I was so... uh, I was so... Like, I hit rock bottom because I worked for two years to get to this point and then I was struck with this so I made a decision should I continue or should I find something else and I'm fortunate enough to have a a great set of um, network uh, around me with my uh, with my um, with my family and my friends that always give me a lot of encouraging words so um, I decided to give it another shot and I don't to be honest I don't know what happened but I like literally in in 2 months after I returned to work like everything went went my way like all the offers that I've been that I have been waiting on for so many years they came just one after the other and from that I I just started continue building it on building it on building it on and I said to myself that if this stayed stable for one year, I would not be uh, self-employed anymore. I would start uh, own my own company and then I would employ myself because that way I would have the same insurances and everything else like other people have here in Norway. And that's what I basically did last year. And my stress level went from, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know what it went from, but it went way, way down because... Then I didn't have that over my shoulder anymore. That if if business stalled or anything else, I wouldn't have that safety net. And now, fortunately, I have it. But it's been it's been a bumpy road, to be honest. And uh, I'm so happy that I always stuck to to my dream of of doing this. And uh, happily, it turned turned out well. I also like to mention that. Uh, I've always had a mentality that there's always a there's always a solution to a problem. And I think that's because of how I was raised. My both my parents were were always telling me that there's not a there's not a problem that can't be fixed. So I actually have tattooed on my arms it says uh, either you will find a way or you'll make one your own. And that's that's basically my philosophy that I think people uh, worry a lot about problems and I think it's better to sometimes just to take a step back and instead of trying to always try to talk about the problems that you have, try to talk about what you actually can do to solve the problems. So that's the mentality that's stuck with me and I think that's the one of the reasons that it, it finally went so well for my for my business.
0: Yeah, I think there's a a rare combination of of skills and gifts there and the fact that, you know, when when things are hard, you know, you're able, when it's kind of the darkest, you're able to push all your chips in instead of fold. And I think the other one is, you know, to kind of get out of your own way and step back and take an honest assessment and say, okay, here's where I am. Here's some possible solutions instead of everything's just bleak and I can't make a step forward. Um, You know, Juma, one of the things that really... I really admire about you and kind of where you're at in your journey and a lot of the things that you've done and your work is, you know, you're probably one of the best people in our industry in in terms of learning and growing from other people. You know, do you do a fantastic job of, you know, finding resources and finding people and learning and kind of adding to your own toolbox? Um, And I kind of want to talk a little bit about that and kind of have a conversation about that. But to kind of get that started, you know, what are some of the maybe like top two or three things? That you've learned from other people, whether it's nutrition stuff or life stuff or business things, you know, what are three things that you've learned from other people that you feel like you would not have gotten to on your own?
1: Okay, that's a uh, first off, thank thanks for the kind words, and uh, second, that's a uh, that's a great question. I think um, I think the most important thing that I've learned from from people around me that are way smarter than me is the the value of making the right priorities for where you want to spend your time uh, and to have um, a balance in your life. And uh, the balance part is uh, something that I've talked a lot with with, uh, Eric Helms about. Eric Helms, I... Uh, I talk a lot with, with Eric and he gave me some great advice because I reached a point where, where basically uh, there was so much stuff to do and I didn't have, like I had the option to say no, but, but uh, uh, you just wanted the business to grow more. And Eric said to me that you know you you have to take a choice one time the, and and take a step back and think about what other aspects in your life that you feel are important. So, for example, your family and and your kid, and you want to see your kid grow up. And that really made me <clears throat> reflect on that uh, that aspect. That why work all your life and don't get the opportunity to see your 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 son or your kids grow up. So that made me uh, two things actually. One thing is that I started to do more of the the work that I personally enjoy and one of the things that I personally enjoy is helping people, helping people and to educate people. That's one of the things. The other thing is that uh, it allowed me to spend more of my time focused on getting as much work as done because then I would have more free time and then I could spend it more with my family. So that's one of the things that I learned if we talk about life experience. So Eric was a great help there and he gave me some great advice that try to keep your plate 80% full because there is always something that will come up that will take more chunk of your time and if your plate is 100% full all the time like everything falls falls apart because you won't actually have the time to to complete it all mm-hmm. so that's one thing another thing is that like i i've been fortunate enough to talk uh, a lot with with uh, people with great experience uh who like some of the greatest experts in the world and if if you if i look at what they actually say in regards to training nutrition and supplementation for example like most of what they say are similar but they have some small differences on uh, some topics but uh, what i found was What I found was uh, the most uh, important thing was to not be afraid of change. Like change your, if if there comes new information out, don't be afraid to stick to what you've always done or stick to what you've always uh, believed in. Be willing to change your beliefs and try new things. I think those two things are the most important things that I've learned from people I have talked and engaged with the last, uh, last years.
0: So kind of on the heels of that, you know, what is one big thing that you've changed your mind, you know, fairly drastically on in, in the recent past, you know, maybe something you thought or you or some tool you used or some philosophy you had that you kind of had to learn and grow and completely
1: have changed your thinking. Okay. That's a great question. Um, to be honest, I, I think it's two things. One thing in regards to training is um, is training frequency. I think I was a bit stubborn on the training frequency part for, for many years and stuck to training a muscle one or two times a week. And then the last couple of years, I switched a lot of it to two times a week. But I think I'm more open-minded now to doing higher frequencies for specific body parts. And for me, it's it's more about if you if if the higher frequency makes you handle a higher volume, it can be beneficial to do it that way, but I don't see like training frequency as the be and end all of everything in regards to training. I see it more as a tool to how you divide your volume. So that's the way I've changed my approach to it because a lot of clients that I work with, they it's more it's more geared towards uh, body composition. Uh, it's, more, it's been more people in the fitness industry that, that compete that I've worked with. And I think I changed my, my, my mindset on, um, on that aspect, that uh, trying, trying new t- things and uh, specifically uh, higher training frequencies, if, especially if you have lagging body part, is probably one of the ch- things that I've changed a lot the last, the last year. In, in regards to, to, to other things, is the, it's, it's been more focused on stress management with my clients this, because before it was more like if you get enough sleep, that's enough to recover from, from your workout and um, the stress that, uh, that you get from your work, etc. But I think I've changed my approach a lot and thought of other strategies to help my client with with stress management and one of them is actually to try to give them most most practical information that can keep them flexible and adherent to their training and their diet for many years so one example of a strategy that I've used with my clients is some clients they have they have like this black and white mindset and that they have to train, uh, for example, upper body on Monday and lower body on Tuesday, take Wednesday off, then do upper body, Thursday and Friday. So what happens if they can't train on Monday? You get uh, you get a buildup of sessions that you haven't done. And finally, you come to Thursday, for example, and you've already skipped two of the two of the sessions and you say, "You know what?" This week didn't go so well. I just start on Monday again. So one of the approaches that I've used with clients to make them more flexible is that we don't have any fixed days when, when you do your training sessions. You only have day one, day two, day three. And you you eventually just based when you do the sessions on your uh, your ability to, to recover or and on your energy level. So for instance, if you're feeling that you have a lot of energy i tell them okay do do three sessions in a row and then take one day off for example if you're feeling tired after the second day do two days in a row and take one day off and that way the days fluctuate all the time they move around all the time and then you don't have any excuse anymore to say that i missed the session on monday because you can always do it the next day so that's helped a lot with um, adherence for a lot of my clients that they don't have to have these fixed days and it's make it makes it also easier for them if they have a planned vacation for example or uh, something or or they're going to be away for a couple of days for example so that's that's one of the strategies that I've used
0: so you know I think that's a really that's a really great point because as you know as coaches and practitioners you know, we know that there's so much gray, right? And it's it's really easy for us to kind of, you know, understand the nuances and, and think ahead and problem solve. But I think a lot of times, you know, when we work with clients, is they really like the black and white answers, right? They like, okay, I need to do this. So, and, and this is I ha- I struggle with this as kind of a coach and a practitioner. Is you know how do we how do we get people to understand the gray the gray areas in and use that in their own life, and you know, obviously, it's the way I approach it is it's kind of a slow accumulation. Like you slowly try to drip them some knowledge, so eventually they figure it out. Um, or what? What are your thoughts on you know how do we how do we get people from wanting the black and white to loving the gray and knowing that they can be more flexible with things?
1: That's a that's a great question. I think uh, the strategy that you mentioned is. It's is is the is the best. Like you, the the way I approach a client is almost as I approach my students. I try to teach them as much as I can about both training, nutrition, recovery, and general life, lifestyle. But the way I approach a student that has way more knowledge than a client is different. But I always tell people that. If we are going to work together, it's not going to be uh, I'm the coach and you're the client and you do exactly what I tell you. It's more going to be like a partnership. It's going to be that we work together. And I teach you the tools and the skills so you won't be dependent on me anymore. That's my philosophy when I work with clients. I tell them that it shouldn't be necessary that you approach me every week for the rest of lo- your life to figure out how you do your training, how you do your nutrition, and how you to do your supplementation. It should be that you spend some time with me over a course of maybe it's one month, maybe it's two months, three months, six months. It depends on what type of client it is. But the end goal should be that you will get independent and that you can do your training and nutrition on your own. So I always start with, with, with the basics and what I found worked worked really well is telling people to eat protein for each meal and carbohydrates and that sort of it doesn't stick very well. But if you give them practical examples, like 25 grams of protein is this much, uh, 25 grams of carbohydrate is this much. You give them like five examples first, then you give them 10. Because when I work with them, they get... They get um, a few um, PDF files where I have it. It's it's not a lot. It's I try to keep it as simple as possible because I know if I write a twenty-page PDF document, ninety percent won't read it. So I try to stick to maximum two pages and give them the key messages for protein, carbohydrates, and fats, and try to give them examples on how much. 25 grams of protein is and another thing that I I like to do is when it it comes to to nutrition is that I think in today's fitness industry it's you have the meal plan camp and you have the flexible dieting or if it fits your macros camp and it's to me it's, 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 it's not two camps in my head it's more how you approach it and how you do it because you can still do a meal plan and have a flexible approach, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Because for me, flexible dieting, is, it's not about flexible dieting and if it fits your micro it's, it's really not about trying to fit in as much, quote, uh, junk food or uh, ben, uh, Pop-Tarts and Ben and & Jerry's as you can. But it's more like, okay, you want a Pop-Tart or you want a Ben & Jerry's on a Tuesday night? It's okay to have that and make some adjustments on that day, but what we're trying to, I, I think what we're trying to get away from when we started to use the flexible is the approach that, oh, you ate ice cream on a Tuesday night, you haven't followed your meal plan this week, so you can just binge the rest of the week, and then you start all over on Monday again. Mm-hmm. So... When I work with, with clients, I try to first learn them the basic stuff about nutrition. I start out, if they know very little about nutrition, I start them out with, with, with a meal plan so they get an understanding of the portion sizes, what proteins and carbohydrates and fats are, and then I move them over to a more flexible approach so, um, so they don't have to be dependent on the structure but even though even when I write a meal plan it's not like it's always chicken for lunch it's usually three or four alternatives in that meal so they get a huge variety of of options but I try to tell them that in the long run we have to try to get you over on a more flexible approach because that's easier to adhere to in the long run
0: that's that brings in a lot more of the gray too, right? It's okay. Let's yeah. let's start with a little more black and white and we'll slowly kind of move you over to giving you skills, giving you the tools so eventually you don't even need my input. It's just like you're you've kind of figured it out on your own.
1: Yeah. I I think the problem with a lot of I think the problem that a lot of coaches experience uh, with with the evidence-based uh, practice, practice is that it's it's not sexy enough, if I could say. It's it's not like like if you say to people that, oh, uh, several, several thousand years ago, people were eating like this and they didn't get any uh, heart disease or diabetes and stuff like that, so it's better f- to our health to eat like they did. And you introduce the paleo diet, for example. People like those kind of stuff. They like that... Uh, the mysterious interesting stuff they don't find it interesting to have a balanced and flexible diet where you can include everything and uh, you know that that i think that's the problem and that why that's why people get more attracted to those types of diets yeah it's
0: the uh, it's usually the story that sells the approach right and not the uh... For some reason, it's not the outcome. It's not the, the results. A lot of times, it's the story that drives people's decisions, which, from a practitioner standpoint, is really interesting, right? It's we kind of have to juggle the how do we how do we bring people into the fold with the story, and then how do we use results to drive you know progress. So it's yeah. always a for me, it's always an interesting balance, right? Because the two worlds are very different but you've got to find a way to bring them together to be successful because you can have you can have the best evidence-based stuff on the planet but unless you're reaching people it's kind of like who cares right you're, yeah. you're you're kind of just sitting at your keyboard being like ooh i have all this data and all this information but there's you know 300 million people in the United States who could benefit from it but i can't reach them right there's this this veil that that's just not going to penetrate so you've got to figure out ways to bring the story and bring those people into the fold. The way I kind of view it, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, is, you know, it's it's our job to take all this and turn it into this for these people. Right? Exactly. And how can we like they don't need to know all the details. All of the stuff that I'm thinking yeah. in my head. Some people like to know that, but you know, for a lot of times, they don't need to know all that stuff. I just need to get them to buy in and then the results will kind of drive, drive that relationship. And I think that's a key piece that um, we need to try to remember is that the human condition versus the data are two very, very, very different things.
1: Yeah, I, I, think that's a, I think that's a great point, and I think that the problem that I see in today's industry is we have so much information, and people are so focused on being evidence-based that I sometimes think people get another aspect that's really important when you work with people, that is communication. Mm -hmm. So how do you communicate the information you're reading from the papers to make it more understandable for people that don't have this knowledge? And if you're talking about protein, for example, and started to talk about uh, amino acids and lucy and and, uh, mTOR and stuff like that, I think you're gonna first off miss miss the point of how you have you communicate that's that's one thing, but I think people f- will feel that you're somehow arrogant if you talk in that way yeah because you're you're you are you are you are trying to communicate something that the majority of people have no understanding about, and when you talk like that. You 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 sound out like you're above other people. So I teach my students that it's great to read the research. That's like the first, uh, like that's that's one of the important things of being a good coach, in my opinion, to get uh, stay updated on the latest research. But I think it's below other things. I think social skills and communications are probably the most important things you need to have if you're going to work with people. And I think people get, get lost in, like, uh, it, it, in my head, it should be like this. If The more you learn, the easier it should be for you to explain it to another person. It shouldn't be that the more you learn, the more advanced and problematic you, you try to explain it. So you don't have to tell, like you said, you don't have to tell everything that's going on in your head. Just give them the key points and the most important things why they are doing it. And another thing that I find very um, good with my clients is is that I always tell them, if you're working with me, I want you to ask me question, why are we doing this? Because that gives me an opportunity to, to explain it in an easy way and then they understand it so always always question the advice you get because i think a lot of people they they hear something and they forget to to ask that question and it, when you ask them why are you doing this is it's because i've heard it from a friend or because i heard it from my my brother or A guy at the gym or something like that.
0: Yeah, and you know, one of the one of the other things that I struggle with too is, you know, there's all we have a lot of information, right? But we still really don't know that much. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we get very um very high on ourselves and our knowledge of, you know, all the things that we've learned when in reality the only things that we really know right now are the basics. Right, and a lot of the really advanced stuff um, that a lot of people really try to dive into are things that we really don't know that much about. I mean, when you yeah. when you kind of look, if you actually go down the rabbit hole of the evidence based practice, um, is a lot of those things we really don't know as much as we would like to. And so I think that's why you know people like you and a lot of the really good practitioners and kind of real world results driven people really base a lot of their coaching and their philosophies on very, very basic information. I mean, we consider basic, but it's very practical in the dirt. Here's what we know works from both, you know, evidence and a lot of anecdote and a lot of experience. Um, And those are things that really drive most of our coaching and most of our practitionership rather than a lot of this esoteric stuff that we all spend hours arguing about, you know. Um, I think that's a really key principle and idea for a lot of people to remember is the basics really are what we know and understand and can use to get results. A lot of the other stuff is a lot of just uh, discussion and thought generation, but we don't use it in our everyday practice. I mean, would you agree that that's kind of
1: where you're at in terms of with what you do? Yeah, I I would say that. Um, I think it's... Like for me, I enjoy staying up to date on the latest, and I actually devote some of my time every week to read a minimum amount of the latest papers that I've that I've um, saved on my computer. And it's it's not always that I find that the papers. It's not that I'm I'm looking for something to use with my clients. Sometimes it's just because I want to understand the mechanism behind why is this working this way yeah just you want a deeper understanding and deeper knowledge about it but it's like you said that a lot of the basic principles that still are used today have been here for several years it might be some tweaking here and there but the basic stuff have been here for for several years so i always also tell people that the research is one thing, but that's why I also think it's great to actually work with people because if you, spend, if you spend a lot of time doing the research and never apply it in the real world, you actually won't know if it works as well as a controlled environment as, as it is in a lab, for example. So I think it's great to have both both aspects of it. And one thing I want to mention is that I think people also forget uh, some of the limitations that that research sometimes sometimes have. It's still probably the best thing we have to actually test hypothesis, hypothesis and to actually see if it works. But there's still a lot of stuff you can't really do in a laboratory setting to, to to look if, it, if if this is causing this. Take, for example, nutrition science. We can't, like, put people in the lab, put them on a diet, and wait 40 years and see who develops cancer. That's not ethical, correct to do so. That's why we have observational studies, and observational studies, again, have have their re- limitations. We don't really know if this is causing this. So... There's there's always going to be uh, limitations uh, in the um, in the research, but I th- still think I th- I still think that in my opinion, if you're going to work with, with with people that you 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 read the research, you keep up to date on the latest research, and then you apply it on your clients, and then you evaluate: is this working for my clients or is it not? If it were if it works you keep it if it doesn't then we move along to something else i think that's a perfect pragmatic approach of
0: how you use the research and the evidence in practice right is you go and you learn about things that are new and that are you know things that we can use as ideas to try to apply and apply it and see if it works and if it works it's a great new tool if it doesn't work don't be afraid to be like, okay, this sounds great on in a paper, but in the real world, it, they just don't jive. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a perfect place. Yeah. So So um, I, I have one more kind of follow-up question, and this is something, you know, since you're you're somebody who I think does a really good job of kind of, you know, staying up to date and, and is really able to do a lot of different things at once, um, I'd love to hear from you kind of what is one thing that you do every day that allows you, to you know consistently stay on top of things and get the work done and not get distracted and be very successful each day what is kind of one tool um that you personally use to kind of stay on point and and stay um and a
1: stay productive and maximize your time every day great question well to be honest i i spend the last hour before i go to bed i First of, all, I don't watch any TV at all. I might watch a movie with my wife on Netflix two, three times a week, but I spend no time watching th- TV. So the last hour before I go to bed the day before, I look over my emails, I look over my calendar, and I write a to-do list what I'm supposed to do the next day. So usually I'll do my to-do list for the whole week on Sundays. Like, this is what, 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 what has to be done this week. And then I slot them in on the different days. Like, I put Monday, this has to be done. Tuesday, this has to etc., etc. And I, I find that I, I work much better if I dedicate a specific time during the day to stay maximally focused on what I'm going to do. So, if I would have said that I'm going to stay, I'm going to work, wake up, work from 8 to to eight at night like twelve hours that doesn't work for me I can't be produ- productive over those hours so I might do uh, two split sessions I'll do four intensive sessions then I might go to the gym get a workout go home uh, have dinner and then do another four hour session of, of work so I to, to make it to make it short I'm always... Planned ahead on what I'm going to do the next day. Uh, that's that's one thing. And uh, like I mentioned to you before, we started this. It's is that I'm I'm probably borderline OCD when it comes to being organized and being structured and keeping deadlines and stuff like that. So to juggle everything that I do is manageable, probably because of the the way I structure my day and the way I'm organized. Because for me, it's more stressful to actually don't have an overview over the stuff I'm going to do this week or if I'm not organized at all. So that's the one thing that makes me maximize my day, Uh, plus caffeine, of course. So
0: uh, it sounds like having a plan... Um, and and sticking to the plan is kind of the way that you, that you kind of go after things. Um, and I think that's, you know, that doesn't just apply to work. It applies to training. It applies to nutrition. It applies to a lot of things of just, you know, setting out a plan ahead of time and then chipping away at it, um, piece by piece. Mm -hmm. So, Hey man, well, thanks so much for giving us the hour of your time. This was, this was fantastic. I always love chatting with you. We, uh, we always have a lot in common, and I always learn a lot from you. So thanks a ton for jumping on with us this morning, and um, I'm sure people are going to get a ton out of this. So uh, thanks so much, and we will, I'll let you know when it goes live, and you can, um, you can have whoever you want listen to it. So thanks a ton. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Brad. It was a pleasure to be on your podcast.